Welcome to Without the Footnotes with me, your host, Esther Rini. On this week's episode, I'll be talking about the Holocaust in Poland. Hi friends, welcome to season three, episode 20 of Without the Footnotes, not your typical Holocaust lecture. I hope everybody has been doing okay in the past couple of weeks. I didn't put out an episode last week just purely because of the war that is going on in Ukraine at the moment, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the subsequent humanitarian crisis that's going on. Um, Things were a bit overwhelming, as I'm sure a lot of you were feeling. Um, I know for me especially, um, seeing the racism that black people experienced, black people and people of colour have experienced when they were initially trying to flee was quite unsettling, to say the very least. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about it because I think it's all over the news. Um, There's a lot of information out there. People are responding to the crisis from what I can see from my end anyway, in really amazing ways across Europe. Some, I mean, not every single country. I do have to point out that the UK is making it pretty difficult for people to seek um, asylum or refuge in the country. But anyway, are we are we surprised? No surprises there, really. There are a ton of um, just everyday people, like civilians, just immediately helping out in whatever way they can for people who need um, refuge which is an an incredible thing to see as many of you know on this podcast I do advocate for refugees a lot and I do believe that being stateless and needing the protection of a state when your own um, country is in crisis is one of the most important things to human beings on this planet And everybody has the right to refuge, everybody has the right to seek it, especially in times of um, extreme violent um, situations. And I think even though what's going on is awful, the response that we're seeing can serve as a reminder to everybody that no matter where the crisis is happening or what is going on, or the colour of your skin, or anything like that, we do have the means and the resources to help everybody. And we do have the response in us to do that. And everyday people have that within them themselves, as people have been proving um, over the last couple of weeks. So I think moving forward, even though it's absolutely awful what's going on, we can seek some solace in solidarity and the sense of community and wanting to help people this is not to negate away from the very very important conversation that we do have about race and who how people are responded to um which is determined by the color of their skin and geographically where they come from um not detracting away from that i think those two things can exist at once and we can appreciate the response whilst also being critical of how certain groups of people are treated and know that we have to do better and and really see things within our societies that we have to work on as well but I do just want to mention at the top of the episode there is a non-profit organization in Ukraine that is raising money for holocaust survivors that still live there um because of their age they're unable to leave the country as you can imagine that's uh 
horrendous situation to be in. The project is called the Survivor Mitzvah Project. You can either Google it or I found them on Instagram. And they, sorry, my nose is running. <laughs> um, and yes, they're raising money to look after Holocaust survivors within Ukraine who cannot flee the violence that is happening there. So I would encourage everybody who listens to this podcast, maybe um, you're looking for a way that you can help out and this would be one of them. I will post it on my Instagram and um, yeah, hopefully some of you can afford to donate and really help people that have already been through enough in their lifetime you would think anyway enough of me talking about that um this week's episode i'm going to i'm going to talk about poland this will be a two-part episode because whilst i'm going to talk about the holocaust i also do think that it's important to talk about what also happened to polish people so non-jewish people non-jewish polish people whilst they were occupied by nazi germany um it's something that is well at least when i was studying it it's it's not as um when i was studying the holocaust it's not something that's focused on as much but polish people suffered incredibly under nazi um under nazi rule so I'm going to do an episode about that because I think it's important to talk to and I think it's important for people to know that also and then we can understand in a deeper context what was going on in Poland during the Holocaust. Anyway, I've been talking for far too long, um, so let's just crack on with the episode. Okay, so let's talk about the Holocaust in Poland. I do just want to say off the top that I apologise if the sound is a bit weird this week, but my ear is blocked and I can't really hear myself. And I think I'm just a bit run down at the moment. So if I sound a bit scratchy, um, that is why I have been drinking water, but it's not working. Anyway, so let's get into it. Um, So just to recap, as many of you probably know, Poland was invaded by Nazi Germany on the 1st of September 1939, marking the beginning of the Second World War. And this was not without the help of the Soviet Union also, who invaded from the east on the 17th of September. Now, Poland was divided up into three zones between Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union by the end of that month. The West, the Western part of Poland became part of the Greater German Reich, but it also included an area that was not annexed to Nazi Germany, and that became known as the General Government. And this was led by a particularly brutal man named Hans Frank. The East was then given to the Soviets. Um, Now, when the occupation happened... The German Supreme Court actually changed the identity of Polish nationals and rendered them officially stateless. So ethnic Germans who were living within Polish territory were the only ones regarded as citizens of Nazi Germany. Now, obviously, this had huge consequences Sorry for Polish citizens. As now they were stateless, they were denied the full protection of the state, meaning 
they were now at mercy of whatever decisions were taken by Nazi Germany unless they were able to flee and enjoy the protection of another nation state. So this is why I always talk about the protection of a government being really important because who's in power determines how you're treated, basically. So in this episode, as I said in the intro, I'm going to focus on the Holocaust and how that happened in Poland. And then in a couple of weeks, I'm going to speak on what happened to the rest of the Polish citizens, so non-Jewish Polish citizens, and how they were treated. Um, So yeah, just to reiterate that. So before the start of the war, there was approximately 3.3 million Jews living in Poland. And historically, Jews had lived in Polish lands for around a thousand years. Now, some of you may have been to the Poland Museum in Warsaw. It's a huge museum that covers all of this history. If you haven't been, then... Now you know that that's there and it just, yeah, it goes through all the history, all the Jewish history of Poland um, over the last thousand years, basically. And it's actually good to see, um, yeah, to go to museums like these to actually understand Jewish history outside of the Holocaust, because I think um, we focus a lot on that and actually seeing how that fits um, in a wider historical narrative of Jewish people in general is always important. Um, So yeah, that's in the Poland Museum in Warsaw. So back to it. Um, So this Jewish population was the largest in Europe at the time and Jewish Um, Polish Jews made up around 10% of the population. Of course, when the Nazis invaded, this all changed rapidly and anti-Semitic measures were immediately brought in. And this is where it's important to pay attention to how Poland was divided up because in the beginning, the policies were different in the different areas. So in the western part of Poland that was annexed to Nazi Germany, approximately 300,000 Jews fled to the Soviet-controlled area in the west. And then it meant that around 1.8 million Jews remained in this Western part. However, an order was issued by Reinhard Heydrich to deport all of these remaining Jewish people from the annexed area to the general government, which was the the other um, Nazi-controlled area, as I said at the top of the episode. Anyway, on the 21st of November 1939 deportations began so this happened very very quickly after the country was occupied because if you think the nazis um yeah the uh, nazi germany only came into poland on the 1st of september so by the 21st of november they were already starting to deport people in the general government hans frank had already ordered that all jewish businesses be seized all jewish males were to be sent to forced labor and all jews were to wear an armband with a star of david on it Jewish people were also banned from using trains unless they had a special permit from January 1940. So this um, complete crackdown on Polish Jewry um, from the beginning. Ghettos were also established almost immediately between... So between the 8th of October 1939 through 1940 and 1941 hundreds of ghettos were established across Europe 
And the and the ghettos were particularly important as they allowed the Nazis and their collaborators to concentrate entire populations of Jews into one specific area in the town or city. And then from there, deportations or actions could happen very quickly and for lack of a better word, easily. Um, so maybe when you think of this German efficiency um, this perhaps would be part of it, I don't know. Anyway, alongside the establishment of the ghettos, concentration and forced labour camps were also being established across Poland. So initially, as I said, Jewish people in the German-controlled areas were concentrated into ghettos, but once Nazi Germany invaded the Soviet Union in June of 1941, Polish Jews who were living in the Soviet area were also forced into ghettos and deported as well to forced labour and concentration camps. Now, when we are looking at how the killing started, initially it was the mobile killing units called the Einsatzgruppen that were carrying out the mass exterminations of Jewish people by shooting. However, by December 1941, Jews from the Wuj ghetto were the first to be mass-murdered using gas vans at the Helmno extermination camp. So Helmno would be the first extermination camp of six that would be established by the Nazis in occupied Poland. These were created after the Wannsee Conference, which I've spoken about before on the, com- um, on the podcast. This was the meeting where the top Nazis from across Europe gathered to discuss the final solution in January of 1942 and basically how to efficiently carry it out. So um, so the extermina- extermination camps were... Helmer was created and then in the spring of um, 1942, three more death, cra- death camps were established. They were called Treblinka, um, Belzec, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and Sobibor. Um, The camps were part of Operation Reinhardt, which was the code name given to the plan to exterminate all of Poland's Jews. You can look that up and read into that more detail. I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of of what that is, but just know that the death camps came under, um, what do you call it? Uh, They came under that code name or that... um, is it policy? <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry, I apologise. I'm blanking at the moment. Anyway, these three camps, so Treblinka, Belzec and Soberbor, were established on purpose close to railway lines so that the trains would arrive, people were simply forced off them and then straight into the gas chambers. Um, it should be known that with these camps, um, they were not built or designed for people to live or survive in them. There wouldn't be selections or work details um, as we're used to seeing perhaps in um, other camps, uh, particularly Auschwitz, because that's the most infamous of them all. Um, These camps were specifically created to carry out genocide. People were simply deported and this camp was the end of the line. They would be gassed either immediately or as close to arrival as possible. Now, this is a pretty horrendous fact, but it's for thought that approximately 1.7 million people for the most part from Poland were murdered at these three sites 
Alongside this, the concentration camps at Auschwitz and Majdanek were expanded and they also partially became extermination sites. This is why we have two camps, uh, Auschwitz I and Auschwitz-Birkenau. The first camp, Auschwitz I, is a concentration camp and the second, and perhaps most, as I said, infamous of all the camps, was an extermination and slave labour site. So deportation of Polish Jews to Auschwitz Auschwitz actually began in March of 1942. The Operation Reinhardt camps were in operation between October 1941 and November 1943. So there was two years of really intense systematic deportations and mass, mass murder, which is really beyond horrendous when you think about it. Um, also, when we think of time, these, if these camps were in operation for two years, then that is something that people would have been aware of. I think there's quite often this kind of myth that goes around that people just didn't know what was going on or they had no idea or, um, yeah, they were blindly sent to their deaths. Whilst in some cases this may be true, and I can't obviously can't speak on for on behalf or on behalf of everybody's experience because these people aren't with us anymore but after after witnessing so many deportations people would have known what was going on or would have had some idea and I think it's very important to recognize that because I think when we tell ourselves that, oh, people didn't know and it ha all happened so quickly and people were just deported, but they thought they were going to work and blah, 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 and that kind of stuff, it detracts away from the actual real experiences of people and the fear that people must have felt and the helplessness and all of those kinds of things. I th Yeah, I just think it's important to humanise the, like, the reality of what this genocide was and it wasn't that people were just oblivious and then they just happened to walk into the gas chambers and that's it um they would have been living in horrendous conditions in the ghetto news would have traveled back so some people whether they chose to believe it or not would have been aware of the fate that awaited them they would then have to endure these train journeys separation from family or even watching their friends and family and people that they know go on deportations before them um and then like arriving at these places that they may have heard of and then realizing that it was true and i don't want to trigger anybody this is not um what that's about but i just don't I don't want to perpetuate this idea that people just idly went along and just were un completely unaware of what was going on. Um, because, yeah, I think it just detracts away from the absolute um, horrendous situation that and what people would have experienced and would have gone through um, leading up to the moment of their murder. And... What am I trying to say? I think if we understand this, we can understand the severity of what genocide is and that even if it's in the past, as it were, um, we should be aware of the things we kind of tell ourselves, perhaps for our own comfort and our own understanding. But no, this whole situation would have been absolutely terrifying, especially with the Nazi occupation of Poland, because they weren't holding back on 
non-Jews as well. They were actually very brutal towards the Polish people in general. So this would have been a whole environment for years that would have been very oppressive and brutal and murderous. So, um, where am I? Sorry, I've just lost myself a little bit. Um, so as I said, the Operation Reinhardt Camps weren't, yeah, were functioning for two years. Um, and you might be wondering if Jewish people resisted at, at all during this time. As to me, in Poland, especially with such a large Jewish population and the deportations taking place across the country and mass murder taking place for years, as I've described, um, yeah, it just makes me wonder, like, how much resistance would there have been to this? How would people have been able to do that? And you may have heard of the Warsaw Ghetto. It is famous for the uprising that occurred there in 1943, as it was the largest act of resistance by Jews during World War II. This uprising was in response to the previous deportation of a quarter of a million Polish Jews who were sent from the Warsaw Ghetto to Treblinka and murdered. So an incredible amount of people. And this kind of speaks to what I was saying before. People knew what was going on. Um, 250,000 people don't just get deported from the place that you live in and you just have no idea where they've gone. So for those who remained in the Warsaw Ghetto, they decided that they would no longer allow the Germans to determine their fate. And they organised an uprising which started on the 19th of April 1943 and ended with the burning of the ghetto on the 16th of May um, of that same year. Um, unfortunately, this uprising, um, a total of around 13,000 people were actually killed. Um, but this is still, and yeah, they were ultimately the Nazis won the uprising, wasn't successful. But to me, this is a really significant act of resistance as they managed to defend themselves from deportation for almost a month before the ghetto was destroyed. And um, yeah, there, there's also, I mean, people obviously did survive from the Warsaw ghetto. Um, there's also a, a museum that I think I've spoken about before on the podcast in Israel that was established from survivors of that uprising. Um, it's called the the Ghetto Fighters House Museum and it's one of my favourite museums. Um, and I would urge people to check that out because uh, the whole story of the establishment of the, the museum also is very, very um, inspiring. Uh, is that the word? I don't know. I feel a bit weird because obviously a lot of people died but just yeah recognizing that people resisted in such a way uh and this museum still exists today and you can still go there and yeah the reasons for its establishment and what they want to teach people and how is yeah um I don't want to keep repeating the same words but it's well to me it's very very cool and I think people should check it out anyway um also, we know that resistance can come in many forms. Um, it's not always, it doesn't always have to be fighting. Um, so also in the Warsaw Ghetto, there was an archive that was created by, or started by Emanuel uh, Ringelblum. Um, it's known as the Ringelblum Archives or the Oneg Shabbat Archive, if you want to look it up. Oneg is spelled O-N-E-G, as Shabbat is S-H-A-B-B-A-T, um, archive. Uh, and this consisted of 
reports, testimonies, newspapers, really, really detailed information about what was going on at the time. Um, this was co- collected from people in the ghetto and buried in three separate sites. Um, so just a wealth of information that they were collecting during their imprisonment in the ghetto. And after World War II, the um, parts of the archive were recovered. So as I said, um, they were buried in three separate sites. Two of these sites were, um, uh, yeah, the archive was recovered from them. I can't remember when they found the first one, but I know the second one they found in 1950. And this is really, really remarkable, given that Warsaw was almost completely destroyed during the war. So to be able to, uh, for this archive to survive um, with all this original documentation of what happened is astounding. Um, they never found the third part of the archive, unfortunately, but having two, you know, two thirds of it is remarkable. And yeah, I would, um, I'd encourage you also to take a look at that um, because this archive was created with the intention to serve as a historical record for future historians. And so that, so that we could, you know, so that we could really understand what was going on at the time and to have that kind of foresight and to have that strength in you to document and risk your life and set up a whole network of people that were willing to do the same under such conditions and also knowing that people were being deported to their deaths um, is... uh, I don't have any words today. It's just incredible it's incredible and it's original documentation from people who from people who were be, who it was happening to rather than perpetrator documentation it's actually the people that were living these experiences so really do go check that out if you are interested in that sort of thing um so that's some resist some some points of resistance that happened there was a lot more that was happening across Poland but I can't go into all of it as I say anyway on the podcast this podcast is to be a kind of springboard into maybe doing your own further investigation also there'll be a lot of stuff as as episodes go on that I will touch back in on um in the future like this series is just about giving you a basic idea of how the holocaust unfolded across Europe Anyway, I'm digressing. Um, so, and really now, anyway, coming to a close of what happened. So, um, as I said earlier, the death camps were in operation between 41 and 43. And by 1944, only the Wood Ghetto would remain in Poland. The rest had all, had all been what is known as liquidated and this is where all the inhabitants of the ghetto were deported and the majority of which um, murdered in the death camps that I've mentioned. The remaining were sent into forced labour. Um, so in the summer of 1944, the Wood Ghetto was liquidated with about 80,000 people being sent to... I mean, that's such an incredible amount of people. 80,000 people being sent to Auschwitz and how no... Helmno was actually closed at this point, but they reopened it for this action specifically to murder um, people from this last remaining ghetto. So these killings would continue at Auschwitz and Helmno until they were liberated by the Red Army in 1945. So really up until the last point 
Polish Jews were being murdered by Nazi Germany. So just to sum up, throughout Poland's occupation, three million Polish Jews were ultimately murdered, with around 380,000 surviving. Um, These people survived in Poland, the Soviet Union, or in concentration camps across Europe in different countries. But half of the known victims of the Holocaust were this number, this estimate that we have that it's 6 million people could be much more um half of that actually comes from Poland and as I said at the top of the episode Poland had um the largest Jewish population in Europe and of that population um sorry and Jews within Poland made up 10% of the entire population three million of them so it was only around 3.3 in the beginning at the start of the war, three million of them murdered, which is, it's just crazy. Anyway, that in a nutshell is the Holocaust in Poland. As I said, as ever, it's a springboard to start deeper investigation. There is no way in about 28 minutes I've been talking, um, there is just no way that you can cover the absolute depth of what it means to murder three million people within a country um in such a short amount of time so i urge you please do go and do further research if that's what you're interested in or just stay tuned into the podcast because as i continue on i will be um i will be revisiting and going in more depth um about different things um anyway i'm going to end the podcast there Also, as I said, if you want to um, donate to the Survivor Mitzvah Project, which is helping Holocaust survivors in Ukraine, please do Google them. Uh, Mitzvah is, in case you don't know, is spelled M-I-T-Z-V-A-H, the Survivor Mitzvah Project. They can be found on Instagram, but if you Google them, they are a non-profit organisation. You'll be able to find them. I will also post it on my social, on Without the Footnotes um, channel for you. I hope this episode has been coherent um, for everybody. It's been a very, very long couple of weeks. I'm sure everybody is feeling the kind of strain on it. Um, That's not to say, that's not to detract from people who are actually fleeing a war zone. But I think a lot of us, especially um, when it's saturated over the news and over all your social channels, and especially for me personally, when I see very blatant displays of racism, it's very, very taxing and also becomes very, very difficult to talk about such heavy topics like the Holocaust or genocide when, uh, yeah, things may feel a bit heavy just in general life anyway. But... We persevere and I bring this information to you. Um, As ever, please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, share it with people that you think may be interested. Um, Follow on the social channels at Without the Footnotes on Insta. If you would like to email me about anything, it's info at withoutthefootnotes.org. And that is it for this week. I will catch you next time. Ciao.